language and culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. Icelandic food culture is deeply rooted in Scandinavian cuisine. As I mentioned in the brief history of the Icelandic language episode, Iceland was settled mostly by farmers from Norway, along with Vikings and some Celtic people who were made slaves after being captured by those Vikings. These Scandinavian people brought with them their cooking traditions and farming lifestyle. However, there is not much evidence of Celtic influence in Icelandic cooking. During medieval times, settlers grew barley and oats and raised mainly cattle. They also raised other animals like sheep, horses, pigs, chickens, and goats. The rivers in the country provided freshwater fish, and people with boats could venture out to the sea to catch cod, haddock, and other types of saltwater fish. Fish was either eaten fresh or stored in salt and then dried. The salt was made by boiling salt water or burning seaweed. However, dried salted fish was eventually phased out. Drying fresh fish in the wind was the dominant way of preserving this food, which is still done today to make harðfiskur, which literally is dried fish. Meat was also preserved in fermented way. Fermentation of shark, skate, and herring still happen today. One would assume that there were a lot of fishing villages in Iceland since the beginning of when it was settled, but that is not the case. The farmers that settled there seemed to be stubbornly devoted to cultivating crops in such a harsh climate. Some were even opposed to fishing villages, and it might be because fishing was considered a lot more risky when compared to farming. This didn't stop people from fishing or consuming that food. While stockfish, or harðfiskur, was used for trading with other countries, Iceland wasn't heavily relying on fishing to fuel their economy until the 20th century. Meat and dairy products were primarily what made up the Icelandic diet for many centuries. One key vegetable, though, that was part of the diet was potatoes. Like many Western cultures, Icelandic people love cheese and other dairy products. For centuries, they have been creating cheese from goat, sheep, or cow's milk. Interestingly, skir, a food that is very well known as being Icelandic, actually came from Norway, but it seems that it fell off as a popular food in Norway, but it stayed a staple in the Icelandic diet. As I mentioned in my Top 10 Icelandic Foods to Try episode, skir is classified as a cheese, even though people, including myself, call it yogurt. Check out that episode if you want to find out more about other foods in Iceland that you could potentially try if you're coming for a visit. From settlement times into the 14th century, Icelandic people used to live in long houses that placed the kitchen in the center of the house in order to heat it up. So there weren't these separate rooms. It was just a long hall or house, and you could easily see the kitchen and where everyone slept. Earth ovens were used for making bread and cooking meat. During some time in the 14th century, those longhouses were replaced by turf houses. These houses were smaller, and there was literally turf on the roof, as well as the kitchen had its own room with a raised stone or hearth. Hooks were hung from above to hold pots of the desired height from the fire. During this time, there was also a shift from eating two meals a day to eating three. Fascinatingly, 
During the Middle Ages, grains were more easily incorporated into the Icelandic diet. On average, it was warmer weather-wise, which allowed for barley and other grains to grow in Iceland. However, that all changed when the country and other parts of Europe and North America experienced a little ice age. The cooler climate started in the 14th century and continued until halfway through the 19th century. While there is some debate about why this cooling period happened, some causes that have been proposed include more volcanic activity, changes in the ocean circulation, cyclical lows in solar radiation, as well as variations in the Earth's orbit and axial tilt. The colder climate made it harder to yield a lot of grain, and Icelandic people started to depend more on trade to get access to different grains. Merchant ships from European countries would stop in Iceland to trade a variety of items, such as stale beer, biscuits, grains, and chewing tobacco for Icelandic stockfish, which I'd mentioned is harðfiskur, and knitted wool. Unfortunately, in 1602, the Danish king created a trade monopoly in Iceland by forcing Icelandic people to only buy from Danish merchants. They were under Danish rule until the 1940s, so Icelandic people basically didn't have a say about this monopoly. While illegal trade did continue, this trade monopoly directly impacted the type of grain and cereal Icelandic people had access to. One result from the monopoly is that Icelandic farmers started to grow a type of rye that was mostly found in Denmark. This rye was used to make brinnevin, which is Icelandic schnapps, and rugbrød, a dark and kind of sweet rye bread made in this country. Another result from the monopoly imposed by the Danish king is the influence of Denmark on Iceland's food culture. The first written cookbooks in Iceland were published in the 18th century, and were a collection of Danish recipes. Most of Iceland's traditional cookie and cake recipes come from Denmark. Funny enough, some Danish baking traditions are still practiced in Iceland, but are not in Denmark. In the late 1700s, the monopoly had dissolved because the ban on buying from other merchants had been lifted. Unfortunately, a mere 10 years later, Laki erupted. This was the most devastating volcanic eruption that Iceland has experienced so far, since it was settled in the 9th century. Crops, livestock, and a large part of the population were wiped out. While this was devastating for the country, the people pushed on. I dedicated a full podcast episode to this eruption because it was so devastating, and it's just so amazing to learn about how powerful the nature can be in this country, especially since it's such a small nation. So check out the link in the show notes if you're curious about what happened after the Lockheed eruption, not only in Iceland, but in Europe and North America, as well as some Asian and African countries. All of the links that I'm mentioning are on my website from foreigntofamiliar.com, including pictures and other resources that you might find useful as you're learning about these different topics. In the early 1800s, the Napoleonic Wars kept merchant ships from reaching Iceland. This sparked a movement towards self-reliance in the country. People started to focus on producing and consuming locally grown food. There was also a move in the 1900s toward preserving traditional Icelandic methods. Home economic schools for women were created around the country, and the culinary traditions that were written down emphasized fresh ingredients, especially from the sea. 
Between the 19th and 20th century is when Iceland saw the major shift from a mainly meat and dairy diet to one that included more fish and vegetables. A little before World War I is when Iceland started to fish on an industrial scale and fish in the country was quite cheap. Fishing villages popped up around the country and Icelanders started eating a lot of fish. In fact, up until the 1990s, they were consuming more fish per capita than any other European country. Even though fish was all the rage, there were some people in the country that didn't want to completely abandon consuming the traditional food that their ancestors ate to survive during settlement times. During the 1940s, regional associations were formed in Reykjavik that organized regional midwinter festivals that served fermented shark, lamb's head, and other traditional foods in a buffet. These festivals eventually became Thorablot, which are celebrated during the month of Thorre. If you're curious about those holidays in Iceland, I talk more about Thorrablot in my podcast episode about Icelandic traditions, holidays, and celebrations. As with the rest of the links that I mentioned, they are in the show notes on my website. World War II brought a lot of changes to Iceland. The occupation by the British in 1940 resulted in fish and chip shops opening up in Reykjavik, When the U.S. military took over in 1941, the soldiers brought hamburgers and other food that was not known to most Icelandic people. This time period is what eventually sparked the growth of U.S. fast food culture in this country. Even though Icelandic people could get foreign food downtown, they were still eating Danish-influenced food at home. Two very popular cookbooks at the time were Matresrubok fyrir fáltæka og ríka, which is a cookbook for poor and rich, and Matur og Drikkur, which literally is food and drink. For many years, vegetables were seen as a supplement in the Icelandic diet. They were good for making real food last longer when you couldn't afford to buy more meat or fish. However, Matur og Drikkur cookbook helped to introduce more vegetable varieties into Icelandic homes. Potatoes were always considered a staple in Icelandic diet, and some Icelandic people today believe that their meal is not complete if it does not have potatoes in it. One thing that I find quite fascinating is the use of spices was still quite limited. Paprika was being used during the 1940s, but not a lot of other dry herbs. Some fresh herbs like parsley, chives, and dill were used in meals, but that was pretty much it. During the 1960s is when traveling abroad started to become more popular in Iceland. This allowed for Icelandic people to be introduced to a variety of foods, including shrimp cocktail sauce. It might seem strange, but Icelandic people are big fans of cocktail sauce and sauces in general. The Icelandic version of cocktail sauce is used in many different recipes. The increase in growing and eating more vegetables in Iceland started in the 1970s. In 1977, about 8,000 tons of vegetables had been produced. The number jumped up to 30,000 tons in 2007. Thankfully, Iceland's cold climate reduces the need for pesticides to be used by farmers. Most, if not all, vegetables that are produced on a mass scale are grown in greenhouses in Iceland. Cabbage, turnips rutabaga, tomatoes, and cucumbers were grown and sold. While bananas were grown in Iceland for a short time, most fruit is imported. You can pick and eat delicious 
wild berries during the summer here, but there's not really a big variety of other fruits that you'll find just naturally growing. The 20th century also brought better temperatures in Iceland for growing barley and oats, if Icelandic people chose to grow that. This was the first time since the Middle Ages that it was possible to grow this grain for human consumption in Iceland again. The 1980s is when a lot of new restaurants in Iceland started to pop up. Previous to this, eating out was not a huge part of the culture, unless it was a special occasion. While Icelandic people do appreciate and celebrate their traditional food history and culture, modern-day cuisine emphasizes local and fresh food that is infused with creativity. It also has a lot more vegetables, and it's possible to even be vegan in Iceland without any issue, and I can attest to that. I've been doing it for more than two and a half years. If you're curious about some restaurants, particularly high-end ones that are doing some fascinating and creative things, you can check out ones like Nostra, Kol, Fisk Markaverin, which is fish market, and Mata Kjatlarin. These are fine dining experiences that give you a modern Icelandic twist that I find to be really fun. And it's just kind of interesting to see how Icelandic people who have usually traveled quite a bit come back and infuse so much into their culture, but still are using these local ingredients that make it very much Icelandic food and a unique experience. Of course, there are also moderately priced and cheaper eats that you can find. And so I'll have a few links to different options in the show notes for you to check out. But I mostly recommend that you check out TripAdvisor or Google Round. Even ask some people that you know have been to Iceland about some of the restaurants that they recommend, just so that you have a variety of places that you can potentially check out when you come. What I find so fascinating about modern Iceland is a selection of food available for people from different cultures, diet restrictions, and lifestyles. In addition to having some all-vegan restaurants, there are so many restaurants that have vegan and vegetarian options on their menus. I've even seen many gluten-free products in supermarkets, and I've recently saw a keto item on the menu at Glow, which is an Icelandic restaurant that serves delicious, fresh, and healthy food. While Icelandic-based cuisine still dominates the eating culture here, it is very easy to find pizza, burgers, and dishes from different Asian countries, as well as a variety of food imported from around the world. I think it is great that Icelandic people are preserving many of their traditions regarding food, but are still open to accepting and trying different types of food. In Icelandic homes, local game meat has become more popular, and people are using new methods to cook traditional meals. While lamb is still consumed, there have been times when people have bought a lot more chicken than lamb. However, there's been a lot of discussions about how chickens are treated in Iceland, especially since many of them are potentially could be kept in not-so-great conditions, whereas lamb and sheep are able to roam around in the countryside. The consumption of those foods kind of varies based off of what comes out in the news and just public opinion about whether or not it's better to eat this food that you know for sure is roaming around free and whether you have suspicions about if chickens are being mistreated. Fish is eaten quite a bit here still, but it is usually not eaten multiple times a day as it once was during the period when eating fish was at its all-time high in Iceland. However, I wouldn't be surprised if people were eating it at least a couple of times a week. I also want to mention that dessert 
has for quite a long time been a part of the Icelandic diet as well. So now that you've gotten a brief overview of Iceland's evolution to their food culture from settlement times into modern day, I'm going to move on to the random fact of the episode. The horses and sheep in Iceland have been raised in isolation since medieval times. Some people call them the settlement breed or Viking breed. Icelandic law prohibits importing horses into the country and any horse that has been exported is not allowed to come back into the country, which is pretty sad. But it's a necessary thing because it prevents diseases that could be present in animals that live outside of the country from spreading to animals that live in Iceland. While people who come to live in Iceland or who are Icelandic and maybe lived abroad and want to bring a cat or a dog to the country, you can do that, but they those animals have to be put into quarantine for a certain period of time. I think it's many months. So just be aware of that if you're curious about moving and considering moving to Iceland and you have a fur baby, by law, you will have to put that animal in quarantine for a certain period of time before they're cleared to live in the country. The Icelandic word of the day is food-related. It is barley, which in Icelandic is bik. Bik. It's a fairly simple word, but one of the tricks to this word is that two Gs together, at least where it's located in this word, sound like a K. So make sure you're just saying bik. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of All Things Iceland. I upload a new episode every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any new content. If you want to connect with me, see when new episodes are being published, and check out my adventures in Iceland and abroad, I will have links to my social media profiles on my website, from foreigntofamiliar.com. Þakka þér kælegar fyrir að hlusta og sjáumst fljótlega.